Hi, I'm Steve Goldstein, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. We are about to bring independence into the Republican Party and Democrats into the Republican Party because we know that America First policies, and we saw this under President Trump, are the only way to solve the problems that we're facing right now. The older voters, uh, that's the question. Do they, do they say, okay, I'm going to vote the party line ticket. Do I just stay with my party um, or do I stay home or do I, do I consider voting for a, a Democrat? I think he's the worst senator. You know, this guy, Mark Kelly, he campaigns as a moderate, but he votes like a radical. Anytime Joe Biden has a new harebrained idea, a new proposal to further send our country on the wrong track, Mark Kelly's there for it. The people threatening our democracy, our state, and our personal freedoms aren't just banging at my door. They're banging at Arizona's door to take over our state and any sense of normalcy that we have left. Now with us to talk about the results of Tuesday's primary and what it could mean for November's election, our former gubernatorial candidate, Christine Jones. Christine, good morning. Good morning. And Democratic strategist and former deputy director for the Biden campaign, Tony Connie. Tony, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Christine, let me start with you on this. And this is not meant to be sensitive. I do not have an agenda on this one. But I saw Karen Taylor Robeson's concession letter, shall we say, from earlier today. And she has not come out to formally endorse Carrie Lake. And a lot of expectations are she will not do that. Can I ask when, uh, when you got out of the gubernatorial race, um, or when you were defeated, rather, um, did you fully endorse, fully throated endorse Doug Ducey, or were you hesitant for a while? Well, both Scott Smith and I, and if you remember, Scott was a candidate along with me, got together and issued a very positive endorsement of Doug after we sat down with him and talked through a few issues and understood where he stood on some things that where we differed. But yeah, in the end, we absolutely did. And I suspect that Karen Taylor Robeson will do the same thing. I can tell you today, she's probably reeling. And she's probably having a little PTSD. But I think when she sits down with Carrie, when she has a chance to talk about the issues upon which they disagree, I think you'll see a very enthusiastic endorsement. And I suspect she'll even go on the road and maybe surrogate uh, for Carrie. And, and you'll see an endorsement there shortly. So what if what if she doesn't do that? Will that give us any signs? Well, you know, the, the establishment is reeling as well because... For a long time, they've kind of had a, a system for approaching these elections. And when an outsider who's never run for office before, who's never really even been involved in politics before, comes out with such a wave and such a movement and basically leads the polls the whole way, they have to reimagine how they're going to approach this. So I do think it sends signals, but I can't underestimate the power of wanting to defeat a liberal Democrat. And I think in the end, that will overpower the doubt about Carrie Lake. Tony, I presume you're not a fan of Karen Taylor Robeson, but how disturbing is it that Carrie Lake won the primary? Or is it good strategy from the Democratic side? I, I don't think it's a strategic thing either way. I think that, you know, I, I, I think that that's a narrative that was really pushed by the Karen campaign, that there was a preference for Carrie Lake, to be honest. Um, but, I, you know, I do think that it's scary that she won. And and if you look at the whole primary, you know, uh, what did they disagree on when it came to policies? They didn't. Right. And so the the thing is, the Republican Party in Arizona is completely controlled 
by the Kelly Moore Trump wing of the party. And so even if it's a small percentage of the t- overall you know, chunk of voters, that's what we are dealing with. And voters have a real choice. And if the choice is a woman who is a social worker and worked with domestic violence uh, uh, victims uh, in, in Katie Hobbs who you know, um, you know, is a public servant versus someone who just doesn't believe in supporting our constitution and thinks that an election should be taken away from the person who wins. And that's like the, 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 this, the greatest thing about her. Like there's so much worse things. Um, you know, if that's the choice that people are making, I think people should really think about their values a little bit stronger, a little bit harder. Christine, let me ask you about that, because when you say that you anticipate that Karen Taylor Robeson will sit down with Carrie Lake and talk about some of the issues they, they disagreed on. To Tony's point, on policy, it didn't seem like there was a lot of disagreement. It was mostly personality-wise, style-wise, you know, rhetoric-wise, that kind of thing. Does that play into the decision from Robeson of how she's going to proceed? And does that, I don't know, make that, that potential meeting maybe a little more awkward? Well, it's always awkward. You just spent the last year beating each other up and then you have to shake hands and, you know, smoke the peace pipe together. So (laughs) those meetings are always a little bit awkward. But I I think and I love Tony's already, you know, talking the Democrat talking points here. But and and that's what he's supposed to do. Right. He's a he's a consultant. And I, I honor and respect that. But in the end, what's the most important to Republicans and probably most independents is let's avoid the policies that the liberal Democrats who are skewing way to the left on the progressive side are proposing. And let's band together and make sure that that doesn't happen in Arizona and you know, potentially not anywhere else. So, Tony, from a, a Democrat's perspective, does Katie Hobbs try to appeal in some way to Robeson voters? Is there a way that she can try to win some of them over to her side? Yeah, I think that I think that she will. And people are going to see that she's going to run a common sense campaign that you know, she won statewide before. People forget she won statewide before only four years ago. And, um, you know, I think people are going to get to know her a little bit better. They're going to like her. And, you know, she has a track record because when you're the leader of the Democratic Party in the Senate and you want to get anything done, you have to work with Republicans. And she's worked with Republican governors before. And so, you know, there's probably footage of Doug Ducey praising her for the work she did to, you know, get the uh, the the backlog of rape kits, uh, you know, through and things like, you know, the opiate epidemic uh, bill that he passed. And so she's going to be willing to work with with people. And my question is this, who's going to be more willing to work with people on the opposite party, Katie Hobbs or Carrie Lake? That's the real question. If we all care about the bipartisanship when there's criticism of Senator Cinema, but what about with Carrie Lake? Do you can you even imagine her working with Democrats? She she won't. Christine, there is a question about even how well she might work with some of those Republicans, folks like Rusty Bowers, for example, who ended up losing his legislative race. I want to go back just slightly to, to, to what you said about um, Carrie Lake, Robeson, whatever sort of big picture in terms of whether it is better to vote for, as you phrase it, sort of the failed policies of the Biden administration. I'm curious, though, does this in any way parallel with the criticism Doug Ducey got when he supported Wendy Rogers, for example, as opposed to uh, the Democrat who she was running against because he made it clear, obviously, the numbers are, you know, we talk about, you know, 16 and and 31 in the legislature. Uh, Is that something that is just a practical thought that Carrie Lake's more likely to get through uh, the issues that Republicans care about as opposed to whether it may 
in fact hurt the state, as some rhetoric has suggested? Well, okay, so that's what you've let's unpack a lot of things that you just three, said. four questions. The legis, yeah, the legislature is going to continue to be close. We see the legislature now in the primaries on the Republican side skewing probably a little bit more conservative. So she's going to have to bring those people in. The Democrats are skewing a little bit more liberal and progressive. She's going to have to bring those people in. When you're talking about almost a 50-50 split, you don't have a choice. And frankly, people know Carrie. They've been seeing her in their living rooms for two decades or almost three decades, I guess it is. They know her. They're going to feel comfortable approaching her. And she's in person a very likable, very compelling person. And I don't think she's going to have trouble sitting down with leadership from the House and leadership from the Senate and saying, this is what we're working on today. Let's get the things that we can agree on and let's go forward to help Arizona. Obviously, we all know in the primaries you have to talk about your party's issues. But in the general, I think you're going to see a carry that's focused on water, on the border, on education, on all of the things that matter to all of the Arizonans. And I think Katie has a real challenge because, you know, she's upside down on likability. I guess they both are, but Katie's more upside down on likability. And frankly, what Connie talks about in terms of rape kits and, you know, the things that she's now claiming she did when the Republican Governors Association gets a hold of that and finds out none of those where she was a primary sponsor, those ads are going to write themselves, right? So yes, Katie Katie is a public servant and a career politician, and she's worked with people. But I think you've got to be really careful taking credit for things and talking about working across the aisle when you're running against a woman who's been talking to all of the public for 30 years. It's a real trick for Katie. Tony, is it safe to say that this race now that Carrie Lake is the nominee, does that make national Democrats more willing to spend some money in it than they maybe would have if, if Karen Taylor Robeson had been the nominee? I don't know. I think that this is, no matter who won, this was going to be one of the most competitive races for governor in the entire country. And, you know, it's not, I mean, there's so many important races nationally. You know, there's a race for Secretary of State, which may very well be the most important race in the entire country of all elections. And, uh, you know, there's a U.S. Senate race. Arizona is a battleground and it's going to stay a battleground. And one of the things that I think a lot of the sort of Republican operatives in Arizona haven't adjusted to is the fact that that outside money and focus and scrutiny. Let's not forget about scrutiny, that that is coming and it's already here. And so I think that there will be investment. uh, And I think that even if there is an outside investment, there's going to be a bunch of money from small donors that are coming into the candidates themselves from around the country. Christine, you mentioned the Republican Governors Association. I wanted to ask you about the statement that that organization issued congratulating Carrie Lake on, on winning the nomination. Is it notable in any way that the the statement in it was from the vice chair, the the governor, I believe, of Iowa, as opposed to the chair of the Republican Governors Association, who is Doug Ducey? Well, this is classic Doug, right? Doug does what's good for Doug. And so, you know, he endorsed the other candidate. And and, uh, with all due respect to the governor, he probably wanted somebody else to make that statement. The vice chair also happens to be another woman governor. And so that may have, have compelled them. But in the end, you know, if you, these things are changing all the time. And if you think about it dynamically, their message on the day after the election or the day after the race was called is going to change constantly between now and the general election, depending on where the polls are. Katie, if you look at the head to head on 
the average of polls that we've seen so far is polling about four to five points ahead, which to Tony's point, makes this a battleground state. And so I think, yeah, Doug's gonna jump in right when it's appropriate. And you're gonna see those messages change and change and change as the polls go up and down. And I, I, I can't overemphasize the fact that I think Katie has a real challenge running against a person that everybody has known and loved for such a long time. Tony, you mentioned Secretary of State. So let's balance this out. Um, if in fact, Robeson and Lake agreed on almost everything. One thing they didn't quite agree on was the idea of let's talk about 2020 over and over and over mm-hmm. again. The fact that the Republicans nominated Mark Finch from Secretary of State, the fact that Kerry Lake has been called an election denier, uh, what does that say to you as far as how much 2020 is actually going to come into play? And one would think that would favor those not talking about 2020. It may not, depending on what the electorate thinks. How big an issue is that going to be in this campaign? Well, I think that Christine's very smart, and she's right that the Republicans should be trying to appeal to moderates. But I just don't think they're going to be able to. I I don't think that they are going to be able to resist attacking Adrian Fontes, who is the Maricopa County recorder, and Katie Hobbs, who's secretary of state. And if you look at the immediate statements afterwards, they haven't. And, you know, the forces in the Republican Party that have been enabled by – Um, you know, the establishment and sort of the mainstream Republicans for years by financing the elections of these far right figures that even they themselves, when you sit down and get a beer with them, they say that they're nuts, right? But they're going to still help them and all that kind of stuff. They, that, that those forces are more powerful today than they were three days ago. And I just don't see them making the pivot that is the logical one to make. Um, I think that they are going to continue to push these lies. That is the motivation for them to get in the race. And it's dangerous and scary. And it's and I think voters care about it. I, I do think, but it's not their top issue. Um, and I think that but I think they're going to be just very frustrated that the candidates aren't talking about issues that, you know, impact their lives. Christy, we've been lucky enough to have you on, obviously, many times over the last couple of years. And fortunately, we haven't had to stop talking about 2020. So let me ask you basically the same question I asked Tony, which was, (laughs) how big an issue does this become? And if it is too much of an issue, if 2020 is too much of an issue, which how can it not be with Mark Fincham as a Secretary of State nominee? uh, What is does that hurt the Republicans chances to have a big banner year in 2022, which as a few months ago, most people expected? I don't think so. In fact, if you heard Kerry's first post victory interview this morning, she stayed away from that like it was the plague, which is the right thing to do. And, you know, if you look at the polling numbers, something like 78 or 80 percent of the population want election integrity. They want transparency. They want all of the legal votes to count. The Democrats, you know, cried about it in 2016. The Republicans cried about it in 2020. Those things matter to all of the people. So if Mark Fincham can stick to the to the actual nugget, which is let's just make sure that the the elections are safe and secure and transparent and not, you know, wave the flag of uh, the, you know, sort of moniker that the Democrats have given them as election deniers. I think they'll be okay. But I do think you'll see Carrie separate herself from that messaging and as well she should, because she should be talking now about the policies that matter to everybody. Everybody wants their child to get a good education. Everybody wants to know they're going to have clean abundant drinking water in their home in a hundred years, right? For their children and their grandchildren, all of those things that matter. 
And I think Kerry is pretty disciplined. We've seen that throughout the primary. For a person who was not politically astute, she has really been disciplined. And so I don't think there's any reason to suspect that she won't be that way in the general. And the top of the ticket kind of defines the message. So I think for Mark Fincham and Blake Masters and the others, that, that 2022 still becomes a fantastic banner year for the Republicans. Implying that the the complaints by Democrats in 2016 are in any way, shape or form equivalent to what's happened in 2020 is just a very cynical talking point. It, and, you know, there were some people who thought that there was influencing on social media and that kind of stuff. The, the force in the Republican Party were saying that the election was stolen a couple of days ago. Right. I mean, this is about dismantling democracy and somebody has to take a stand against this. And it is so frustrating to just watch the Republican Party in Arizona just immediately kind of forget that this is this is existential stuff. This is scary. And I just wish there was people willing to stand up for what's right here. That's Tony Connie. Also with us is Christine Jones and with Mark Brody in Phoenix. I'm Steve Goldstein. Christine, let's move to the U.S. Senate uh, campaign in which uh, Blake Masters became the, the GOP nominee. Really, it was a two-candidate race between he and Jim Lehman. Mark Burnovich was kind of a distant third. What do you make of the fact that Masters, again, a, a Trump-endorsed candidate, came out ahead in, in not a particularly close race? Yeah, that was a real shocker that, that the Trump endorsement made that much of a difference in that race. And I just want to touch on one thing about Mark Brnovich. He clearly is the biggest disappointment of this cycle. He, that race was his to lose. But going back to Masters and Lehman, you know, Lehman spent a lot of money. He was very methodical. He went out, he met the people, he did all of the things that a statewide candidate has to do. And just with that one endorsement, you saw Masters numbers skyrocket. And I think this goes sort of to the overall power of the Trump endorsement in Arizona. We've seen it in other states as well. Not quite as strong, though. So now we look at it and every single Trump endorsed candidate won their primary. Does that make Arizona the Trumpiest state? I don't know. But it just does speak to the power of breaking through the noise with something that's meaningful to people. And I also have to make the point here. This cycle, maybe for the first time, voters are starting to ignore and block out negative ad campaigns. And thank goodness for that. It's about time because none of the negative really seemed to matter. It didn't matter against Lake. It didn't matter against Masters. It didn't matter against Lehman. And I really think if any victory came out of this primary cycle, it was that. It's that people don't listen to that, uh, almost swore, to that noise anymore. <laughs> and and it's and it's good because what you want to do is vote on policy and vote on competence and vote on the person who can do the best job. I'm not sure we got that in the Senate race, but at any rate, the negative ad um, rescission, I guess, is a, a victory to me as a person who had millions of dollars spent against them on essentially lies, right? I, I'm just so I'm just so grateful that voters tune that out. Christine, are you suggesting that it might be actually okay to turn on our TV between now and November? No, because the RGA, the Republican Governors Association, the minute the election was over, started the negative ads against Katie Hobbs. And Katie Hobbs, the minute the election was over, started the negative ads against the Republicans. 
So don't turn your TV on. Okay. I, I mean, it's just, it's even noisier now, but I just think it's good that people tune that out, that, that they're going to other sources for information about candidates. Sure. So Tony, from Mark Kelly's perspective, he, I'm, I guess, I'm assuming he knew it would be either Blake Masters or Jim Lehman. How does, like, if you are the Kelly campaign and apparently money is no object for them, how do you, a, a, for lack of a better word, attack this this campaign? How do you try to, to go after uh, Blake Masters, and how do you try to sell him as a candidate? I think that the Kelly campaign is going to stay focused like they have been this entire cycle, and, and the last cycle, too, on delivering for Arizonans. And so look at what's happening right now. We're about to get, you know, Mark Kelly is was one of the main people pushing for the the chips and science bill that got passed the Senate and signed. He was instrumental in the bipartisan infrastructure uh, legislation. And he's also been pushing really hard for um, for to allow uh, Medicare to negotiate for lower drug prices and put caps on spending for seniors. And he's going to talk about those accomplishments. He's going to talk about his you know vision for the future. And there will be a contrast to – uh, you know, the Senate candidate, Blake Masters, who has already talked about, you know, privatizing Social Security. He's he's like um, the guy in your your college dorm or in your college class who always had to have the idea to be like the smartest guy in class just to be different than everybody. And and so he's got a lot of that kind of stuff. And I do think that you're going to hear about it. Uh, you know, Christine thinks negative ads. Was this a polite campaign like Carrie Lake and Mark Finchup? They went hard negative against their opponents and it worked. Um, and, you know, so did Blake Masters. He called he, he called Lehman a bozo in a debate. And um, and, you know, and he's, he's right about that. I agree with him on that. Um, but, you know, the, I, I think that we're going to be seeing negative ads. Uh, and I hope that, you know, the thing is they just have to be truthful. Um, but I think that it's going to influence this election, too. Christine, one thing that was fascinating to me about four years ago is that approximately 150,000 voters voted for both Kirsten Cinema and Doug Ducey. And there was discussion if Karen Taylor Robeson had won the Republican primary, would we see the same sort of crossover with Senator Mark Kelly? That seems to be likely impossible when it comes to this. So are we going to see the, the fight for the middle um, for independents who aren't quite sure does Blake Masters have a chance to get some of those independents that voted for Mark Kelly two years ago? Possibly. And I just want to follow up on what Tony said. The Yes, everybody went negative, Tony. That's clear. It just it didn't seem to be as compelling when Karen Taylor Robeson was spending $1 million a week negative and it never put a dent in, in Kerry's numbers. But here's the problem for Kelly. He campaigned, he, he, he used the Kirsten Cinema playbook. I'm a, an independent. I'm just like you. I'm Arizona. And when he didn't have a record that worked, and it's a very compelling message, particularly when the guy has such a stellar resume. I mean, he's a retired military officer and a pilot and an astronaut. And he's really impressive, right? Today, he has a record. And he doesn't get to say I'm independent and I'm moderate anymore because he votes with Schumer and Biden almost every single time. So I think Blake goes there, but it's a it's a problem for Blake because he's very young. He has very little track record. And I think if I'm Mark Kelly, I am going right after the fact that he doesn't have any experience and it's a, it's a weakness, right? And the Republicans are going to have to address that and right away. Well, and Christine is, is Blake Masters, forgive me for using this. It's going to sound pejorative, but he, uh, going to what Tony said about him, um, he, 
in a non-pejorative way, you could say he's interesting. In a slightly pejorative way, you could say he comes across as kind of weird. Is that something that the Kelly campaign is going to exploit? I mean, could we see independent expenditure groups just talking about some of these weird theories? Even if he wrote them when he was 20, he's, he, you can't trust him kind of thing. Oh, sure. And, and we all do that, right? You go and look at every single thing anybody's ever written and exploit it. The, the fact that he doesn't have a record will be helpful, right? He doesn't have a voting record against which Mark Kelly can campaign. But the fact that he's weird, I'm not sure appeals to sort of the lower than 50-year-old voters. It might appeal, appeal to older people who don't exist in the technology space where that is normal, Blake Masters is normal in the tech world, right? That's kind of how the people are. So it it may have to get segmented out, right? Depending on the population that they're speaking to at the time. But yeah, absolutely. Tony's right. They are going to find every single weird thing he ever read or wrote and said, and they're going to use it against him, just like the Republicans did to Barack Obama and just like the Democrats did to John McCain. I mean, it, this is just the way it works. Christine, let's move a little bit further down the ballot. Tony referenced the Secretary of State's race, which will be uh, Adrian Fontes on the Democratic side against Mark Fincham on the Republican side, another uh, Trump-endorsed candidate. As we just get underway in the general election, how do you see this race shaking out between Fincham and Fontes? It's probably the biggest weakness for the Republicans because Adrian Fontes has a history of of reforming elections. The, The lawsuit that came out as a result of my race for Congress, required Maricopa County, for example, to take a lot of corrective action, which Adrian Fontes did. So all the signature verification, the wrong precinct voters, the overvoted ballots, all of those things that came out of that litigation are now, that that became new law, Adrian fixed all of those, right? And he has that to trumpet. Mark Fincham has pictures of himself at the Capitol on January 6th. I think this is a big problem for the Republicans. And, you know, there's not a lot of public polling on a head-to-head in that race yet, but I have to think if if Fontes doesn't make any mistakes, it's probably his race to lose at this point. Tony, what do you think? Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a clear choice. You have, um, you know, Fontes, who's a Marine, who took an oath to defend our country, and you've got Mark Fincham, who is uh, took an oath to be a part of the militant anti-government group, the the Oath Keepers. You know, he has a bad relationship with the truth. You know, Mark Fincham only a year ago was lying on official letterhead saying that he had a fellowship at the University of Arizona because he wanted to make himself sound more important while he was pushing to overthrow this election. And, you know, Fontes is an actual lawyer who's defended people's votes. And I, I, I think that that Fincham is very scary. And he's also, you know, there's also like outlandish stuff. I I have since January 6th, I've dug a lot into Mark Fincham. Um, you know, there's outlandish stuff about him. He on social media called the death of Paul Walker from Fast and the Furious another Clinton side, right? Like saying that the Clinton skill, he said that about the Oklahoma City bombing too. I mean, it's just it's just wild stuff. And I, I was very surprised with the importance of that race and the fact that Christine's right, that he's a huge liability, that the Republican candidates didn't go stronger on him. They didn't go after him. You know, he has a deep record. I have his personnel record from when he was in Kalamazoo. You know, he dresses like he's a cowboy, but he's from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and and he brags about being a cop. And right there on his retirement paperwork, it says 
poor ratings, would not rehire. That's what they said about him as a police officer. And none of that came up in the Republican primary, which is shocking. And, uh, you know, th that's one of those races that it's just I really wish he would have lost in the primary because I do think that Fontes is a much stronger candidate and will win. But he is a dangerous figure. Well, Tony, that brings me to the previous question about whether how voters behave, which we don't know yet. And obviously, as a Democratic strategist to work for the Biden campaign, obviously, you, you want to see the Democrats run the table. But let me ask you this. Is it is it possible that voters will pay enough attention based on either looking into things themselves or ads or mailers that they decide they like Kerry Lake, but they do not like Mark Fincham because those are going to be next to each other on the ballot? Will there be enough voters who say, yeah, I'm going to go Lake and Fontas? I do think that there will be appeal to uh, Republican-leading independents and Republicans for Democrats at the top of the ticket. But it is true that if you can convince these voters to vote for a Democrat, it's harder to get them to vote for multiple Democrats. I think yeah. we saw that when a lot of Republicans voted for Biden and Kelly, but then when we got down ballot last time, they weren't as willing to, uh, you know, to, 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 to do that. And so um, I do think that that is a risk, but that's why these campaigns happen. What needs to happen is our candidates need to go and have conversations with everybody, independents, Republicans, Democrats, and they need to talk about their values and explain why they support the things they do in a way that can appeal to everybody, not change their values, not change what they're going for, but just be willing to have conversations with a lot of voters who are are reeling. I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot. It could be 10 percent who are reeling from the the slate of frighteningly fringe conservative Republicans that are at the top of the ticket this year. Christine, let me ask you a very similar question. So as you said, Carrie Lake has been in people's houses for decades as an anchor. She comes across warm in person, whatnot. Is it possible we see a lot of people who do make that decision to say, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go with Carrie Lake. She's more interesting, more exciting to me than Katie Hobbs. But Mark Fincham, January 6th, I'm pretty scared. Well, we've seen it happen before. If you remember in the year that there were all women in all five statewide offices, we had a split, you know, between Republicans and Democrats. That is very possible. The, and, and I love that Tony is this animated. I've never seen you like this before, Tony, <laughs> I, which is, it, it, I like it actually, because he's passionate about his issues. The, the setup, honestly, to, and the, we call it opera, right? The opposition research on Mark Fincham is so vast and so easy. I don't really think it's going to be that challenging for Adrian if he can raise money and if he can get his voice heard. You know, the, the media is pretty consumed by these by these messages at the top of the ticket. But the the one saving grace for Mark might be that he has the power of the loyalty of the Trump voters which I personally underestimated as, you know, as recently as six months ago. And those people are going to vote for him. And that's, al that's almost enough to get him over the top. So I think the Democrats are probably going to spend more on that race than they had maybe originally planned, but they, they are going to be desperate to keep him out of that office. And I think it's possible to split the ticket at the top. Christine, let's in the couple minutes we have left, I want to ask you about what happened this week in Pinal County, where they didn't have enough ballots and some number of voters most likely were, were disenfranchised. The elections director was fired. The recorder resigned to take that spot. Um, obviously, kind of kind of a mess down there, to, to put it nicely. But I guess in the bigger picture of people's skepticism and concern about elections, how much does this sort of play into that? 
Well, if, I mean, I hate to use this term, but when I saw that they fired David Frisk and, you know, put in a, a kind of more known quantity in Virginia Ross, it did strike me as a little bit of an overreaction and a little bit of cancel culture, right? People aren't allowed to make any mistakes now. Maybe the death knell for David Frisk is that he made two mistakes, right? The they had a, one, an right. error. Yeah, they had an error in the ballots, which meant there was fodder for conspiracy theorists to say there was something going on there. And then the under providing of ballots, that that kind of is a, an unforgivable mistake. But all of this just lends credibility to the fact that there's something wrong with the elections and it's going to be more conversation to have, which really appeals to people who, going back to Tony's point, really appeals to the people that thought the election was stolen in 2020. Tony, does it matter at all? I mean, Pinal County is a pretty Republican county. Does it matter at all for folks who believe that elections are full of conspiracies that this happened in a in a place like Pinal County? Yeah, I, I'm sure it does. But, you know, let's, like the, the, aside from all that, people should be able to vote. It should be easy to vote. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. And this was a, a poor performance. You know, whether he should have been fired, I don't know. Um, you know, I, one thing I do think is that this puts into sharp focus, uh, you know, the big winner on Election Day was the voting center system that's run in Maricopa County that Fontes put in place and, and Stephen Richer has, you know, continued to improve upon. Um, that if, if, if Pinal ran their elections the way we run them in Maricopa County, this wouldn't have happened because it wouldn't have been individual precincts that had to get specific ballots. Um, they could have printed them there. And so I do think it, it was a shame what happened, and uh, we got to get it fixed. Okay. Tony Connie, Christine Jones, thank you both very much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Take care. Thanks. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's big stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at the show at kjzz.org. I'm Steve Goldstein, and thanks for listening.